you a little bit of background here. If you are visiting for the first time, what we're doing is going to the book of John. And I mentioned last time before, that's a really positive thing. There's a lot of good reasons to go through a book of the Bible. You learn about context, you understand connections, you see bigger pictures. And John's one of the best pictures of who Jesus Christ is. And as you go through John, you begin to understand that these people who he's talking to don't really understand who Jesus is. And John even writes at the end, I write these things to you so that you will know. Okay. A lot of the people Jesus interacts with, you can tell. You've, you've heard it. If you've been here for, for a while, you've heard it throughout a lot of these interactions where they just don't get something. Jesus says something, they all kind of go, what in the world is he talking about? A lot of confusion. Jesus is slowly trying to undo their wrong understanding of who he is. There's a lot of confusion, as we mentioned a while ago. And so even, even in this passage, we'll see. And you've got people who are just simply confused. And then you've got people as well, like the Pharisees, who really have a personal agenda. They really have sort of a selfish motive. They really have other issues going on that also create problems for understanding who Christ is. And we saw last week the idea of uh, um, uh, Jesus telling us that he is the door. And we saw as well um, even the introduction to this idea of Jesus being the shepherd. Let me ask you a question as you're turning to John 10 and you haven't got there yet. Who is looking out for you? Who's got your back? Who's protecting you? Who's on your side? Those are the same questions or different ways. But that question is being answered in this passage. For a lot of people, the answer kind of is nobody, myself. See, most of us, you just got to admit, we, just, we feel like we're pretty independent. We got it covered. I got my back. No one's there for me. I can take care of this. A few of us will let some people into our lives to help out a little bit here. But even there, there's kind of a boundary. There's kind of a border. It's kind of like you can come this far but no further. But we're going to see today, I'm seeing this idea of who Jesus Christ is, that he is on our side. And maybe more importantly, we're on his for those who know him. John chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. John 10 verse 11. And as I read, listen to some things that are being repeated. Because I'm going to ask in a minute what the main point is. John chapter 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down out of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, this is your word. These are your people. This is your time. May you be glorified in all that we say, and all that I say, and all that they hear. May the reality of who Jesus Christ is become clearer and clearer. May we love and adore and obey. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are probably like this, or maybe you have a parent like this. I remember my mom one time telling me, I don't remember what was going on, it didn't really matter, but she said something like this. Somebody messes with me, all right, but if you mess with my children, now you're going to get it, right? Some of you, again, are, are like that as a parent, or had a parent like that, right? There was this sense of fierceness in my mom if somebody did something to one of her kids. And as a child, I liked it. I was glad, right? It was good to know that there was someone there who was going to protect, defend, fight for me, especially as a young child. And my mom, I believe, I don't never had to do it, thankfully, but I believe she either hurt somebody, right? And and we get that. Why? And you go, it's it's, it's a simple, easy idea, but we get that, right? We understand if, if you were to ask her, you know, if some other child in the, in the neighborhood had been hurt, would she be upset? Totally. Would she fight for them? Probably so. But what made it so much different when it was her child? And the answer, as I just gave you, it was her child, right? It was hers. She, in a sense, owned, possessed. It was she defended. These were her responsibility, but more than that. She wasn't just responsible she had a love, a genuine, heartfelt love. Again, if you're a parent, you may remember as I do that day that my children were born, those days. That, you know, here's, here's Sarah, here's Rebecca, minutes old, and for some reason, a love I had for that child. They had done nothing for me their entire lives, all five minutes of it, right? And yet, I would have given my life for that child in that moment. Something about being own, being possessed, being a part of a family, a group, a process here, and having someone who has that kind of passion for you. That's what Jesus is getting to here. And he's, he's really getting to it, sadly, against people who just don't get it. But we'll hear here in this part here. So what's the main point? What would you hear being said over and over again? I'll open it up. What would you hear? Exactly right. The bell rings for your answer, right? What'd you hear? What thought? What what jumped out off the page? He said it twice. Good shepherd. He actually said two things twice. I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life. I'm, this is going to kill me. It's all right. We'll be all right. Okay. I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life. I'm going to try to turn less. That won't happen. So that's for the seal. All right. So what we're going to look at today is this idea of a good shepherd who lays down his life. Okay, So we're going to look at those two ideas. What I want to look at first is this idea of shepherd. 
But what I want to do is build the idea of what a shepherd is by looking at the two pieces he contrasts. So let's look back here in verse, this is verse, uh, we'll start, we're going to go backwards here a little bit. Look in verse 12. He who is a hired hand sees the wolf coming. So Jesus puts two more characters into our story here. He's giving a parable on some level. But he's put, he puts two more characters in here. First is the wolf. Now, I don't, you know, Jesus does not define the wolf super clearly here. But the rest of Scripture kind of bears out this idea that Satan is someone who is looking to devour. First Peter says he's a roaring lion seeking to devour. So I'm going to go here a little bit on, on a limb maybe, but say that the wolf here might represent Satan. Okay? So look here. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The wolf wants to come and consume you. Right? He wants to eat the sheep. So we can contrast here this idea of Jesus being the shepherd versus Satan and the enemy, the spiritual enemies we have, being the, these wolves who want to consume you. Now, other places, wolves are used for other things as well. So again, you could argue back and forth on that part. But you get the point. We have an enemy, a real enemy. And friends, he is more powerful than you are. Okay? He is more powerful. He's been around longer. He knows the game better. He's played it a thousand, probably a million times. If it's left up to you versus Satan, he's going to win. You're done, right? You're a sheep, a sheep and a wolf. Sheep's never going to win that battle. That's why it's so critical to understand now a good shepherd is one who's going to guard you from the most pressing, the most dangerous, the most difficult processes in your life. Now, does that mean that it won't happen? didn't say that, right? The sheep, and even in our story here, the sheep still have to deal with realities like uh, hunger, and they have to deal with realities like uh, uh, flies and, and walking around. There's still processes. Look, we'll see later on here as well. We're going to, you know, Jesus has not got us home yet. We're not home yet. If you think this is it, man, I feel sorry for you. It's, that's a sad reality. This ain't it. And Jesus told us in a chapter, in a section before, he said, I am the door. So he tells us, it's interesting, this, in this one chapter here, he says, I'm the door and the shepherd. I'm the one leading you to the entrance, and I am the entrance. And where do we get to? Jesus talks us later on in John 14, I am the way to the Father, right? So we're going to see is here that Jesus is, is herding us into the reality of who he is and in the presence of his Father forever, okay? And Satan, while he has a chance, is trying to consume us. But once we get in that, that, that sheep pen and we're safe forever, we're good to go. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He says, I'm the door. Now, if you understand what a sheep pen is, I don't know a ton about this stuff. I've done a little bit of research on this. But it's basically like an enclosed area that's going to provide some level of protection and keep the sheep from wandering off. So again, we see that kind of coming up later on for us as well. We're still going to have to deal with the realities of this life, a broken world. But a shepherd who is going to guard us from the reality of Satan, from a wolf who will consume us. Friends, we'll see later on as well, but I'll hit that hint now. 
If you don't know Christ, you've got no protection. You are a sheep wandering around just waiting to be consumed. Okay? We'll see that more later on as well. But I want to make sure you even hear that now. If you know Christ, you're safe. Safety might not mean you won't... I'm not saying you'll get killed for your faith or killed in a car accident. I'm not saying that at all. The reality is, for the believer, eternity is more important anyway. Right? All right. Now, keep in mind, the shepherd's going to guard us from that danger. Now, second part here, hired hand. Okay? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. What's going on there? He's a hired hand. Jesus hints at this idea. Why is he there? Right? Money. Right? This guy's just guarding some sheep, kind of, as long as it is financially beneficial to him. Okay? Now, Jesus hints at this a lot in different places as well. But this is probably dealing with the false teachers and the Pharisees. Again, somewhat speculative, but we can see here Jesus makes connections at different places as well. The Pharisees were people who were in it for money. It was going to benefit them in that culture to be religious because people would then give them stuff, right? They would admire them. There's that story where Peter, where, where Jesus says, it's difficult for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, basically, it's impossible. And Peter goes, well, then who can make it? In other words, Peter exposes a truth there that they believe that the richer you are, the more blessed you are by God, therefore the better off you are. And so these Pharisees could take advantage of that opportunity. Amen. So think about this for a minute. I think this is reflecting a lot in our culture of the false teachers who are out there right now who teach things for money. There's a ton of them. They're very popular. They're all over the TV. They got lots of books. Okay? And I'm going to throw one out there, and if this is your, this is your buddy, I'm, I'm sorry. But Joel Osteen is a good example, okay? And you listen to the things that he says. Why is his message so appealing? He says very encouraging things, and most of us want to be encouraged. All of us do, right? Talking to me the other day, this was a, a few months ago, and the guy was telling me, he goes, my wife really likes Joel Osteen. I was like, Really? He goes, because she said it really helps her feel better. You know what? He does for about this long. Because all he has is false messages that make you feel better for a moment. The strange thing is, this lady that I'm talking about suffers from severe anxiety disorder. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Some of that stuff is chemical. But if you're fed candy all the time, you get a stomachache. And that's what these guys are doing. And why are they doing it? Why, are they say, why is it so appealing to the masses? Because they're making the promise of the thing that we got to admit we all want more money. Right? I don't care who you are. I've never met anybody yet who says, yeah, my biggest problem right now is i got too much money. i just got too much money. Right? We're all kind of going, I could use more to pay off my house or my car or pay off my bills or retirement, or whatever, we're always thinking about, boy, if I could just have a little more than I've got, I'd be good. And we all know it's not true. We know it's not true. But deep down, there's that desire for more money. Well, these guys, these false teachers, promise you more money. And they make it even simpler. See, if I said, 
you can get more money if you go to high school, go to college, get a master's, get a doctorate, do some research, do some work, start on the bottom of the company, work your way up, and in 20 years, you'll make more money. I don't want to do all that. So these false teachers say, if you'll just give me a little bit, God will give you a lot. Well, why would I not want to do that, right? I mean, th that's a no-loss situation. It's like going to the casinos with a guaranteed pull and win. It's super appealing. I can give you more money if you just give me a little. But notice all the guys saying that are multimillionaires. They're not operating off sacrificial giving that they're telling everybody else to operate off of. Interesting. It's a pyramid scheme. We know it. He's a hired hand. He's figured out if I pretend to guard some sheep for a while, somebody will give me some money. But the funny thing is, the prosperity gospel is a lot less common in countries where persecution is severe. Huh. Huh. How does that fit together? Oh, you mean... When someone says, I'm going to shoot you for believing in Jesus, you're not going to make up stuff and get money out of it? Of course not. Jesus makes that point. When the wolf shows up, the hired hand's like, I'm out of here. This ain't worth $8.25 an hour, right? I'm done with this. But while the hired hand can make money guarding the sheep, he'll stick around. Our false teachers. So who are you listening to? Those guys aren't protecting you. Now, does that mean you can't listen to teachers? Of course not. There are people out there who love the Lord, who lead you closer to Christ, who show you God's word by God's, by God's grace. That's me today and Matthew and other days. The people that you read, whatever, there's people who really want to push you closer to Jesus. But they're willing to tell you, you might have to go through poverty. You might suffer might suffer. If you're following Jesus, friend, you will suffer. Jesus said it. A lot, by the way. I don't know how those guys survive. It's like they read most of the Bible. Anyway, they pull up a couple of verses out that sound pretty happy and they move on. It's a good trick. Don't fall for it. So that shows you two negative examples of what a shepherd is not. Right? A shepherd's not looking to consume you. A shepherd's not guarding you for his own financial benefit. Right? A good shepherd is this. Where do you think about when you think of a shepherd from the Old Testament? What do you think about? Psalm 23, right? Here we go and read it. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a good shepherd, by the way. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's providing for me, right? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, even though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of uh, suffering and persecution, right? Dealing with problems here. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Good Shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for a little bit of time. Forever. Amen. That's what a good shepherd does. He takes care of his sheep. He makes sure they get to the best places possible. Maybe sometimes eventually, right? Val just had the death for a little while here. But the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Who are you following? Are you trying your own way? Trying Satan's way? Of course, that would be crazy, right? People do it, though. Listen to those false teachers. Are you following a good shepherd who knows the path, who understands what you need? See, the false teachers give you what you want. That's the trick, right? The good shepherd knows what you need. Who are you following? So ask that question to yourself. Look at your life and figure it out. Who are you following? And I mean life, not Sunday morning. Life. Every day, who are you following? A good shepherd. Now, look how he also explains to us in this passage how we're connected. So let's look down in verse uh, 15, I think it is. Verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. How are we connected? A knowing relationship. Jesus says, I know you. Do you know him? Do you know me? That's what Jesus is going to ask. Right? In that passage in Matthew. Depart from me, I never knew you. When you ask yourself who you're following, don't run down your list of things you're doing. Okay? It's, it's, that's good. Do, do is good. But it's secondary. Who do you know? Okay? He says, look, look how he explains this. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Whoa. So don't miss this. Jesus says, I know you the way the Father knows me. I know you the way I know the Father. The Father and the Son know each other how? Perfectly. Jesus knows you perfectly. Perfectly. And friends, my first thought in that situation is that's terrifying. <laughs> Jesus knows me perfectly? That's terrifying, because I don't think I'm the kind of person you'd want to know very well. I feel like the kind of guy that if you saw my thoughts, you'd run, right? We know that. Jesus knows us perfectly. And yet what? He lays down his life. If, I knew, if, if, I, if you knew me perfectly, you'd run away, <laughs> right? If uh, Jesus knows me perfectly and lays down his life. Let's look at that part here. So he says, I lay down my life. What is this going on here? Notice the extent of the sacrifice, the willingness to protect. The wolf comes, and Jesus not simply fires at it with a rifle from a distance. That would be a good idea. But he says, I will stand in front of. I am willing to die for you. Notice in 17 and 18. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. In other words, well, verse 18. No one takes it from me. 
I let it in of my own accord. No one takes it from me. See, we know the story of the, res- of the crucifixion. In that story, it looks like he's being carried along. He's arrested. He's tried. He's killed. It looks like things are being done to him the entire time. That's sort of true. But even in Acts 4, it says that these things happened according to your plan. Jesus, at any moment, could have stopped it. And by the way, would have been right to do so. He had no reason to go to a cross. He had done nothing wrong. So, at any moment, he could have said, Foul, this is not fair. I'm not guilty of anything. There's even one little part in there. I just love this part in, in, in the story. It says that they, 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 uh, during the trial, they hired witnesses to lie about things about Jesus. But they were all messed up. They were all mixed up. And it looks like, if you're following it from a legal perspective, that the trial is going to result in a mistrial because they're all confused. <laughs> and Jesus just says, okay, enough. I'm the Christ. And they're like, and so the guy says, we don't need more witnesses. He just admitted blasphemy. In other words, Jesus sees that the trial is going in his favor, in a sense. And he just says, look, fine. I, I'm, yes, I'm the Christ. Kill me, please. And he's like, he, he makes sure, even amid their uh, uh, problems, that they get it right that he goes where he's supposed to be. Amen. Why? Hebrews 12 says it. For the joy set before him. Okay? All right. But we got to understand, friends, we're more than sheep. Let me help you out here a little bit. This is probably super obvious. If you're a shepherd and there's wolves coming to consume your sheep, don't, don't die for them. I'm not being mean, but they're animals, okay? You can get some more, right? People are more important than animals, right? Now, that seems obvious, but our culture's not always sure. But let's just go with it now, okay? People are more important than animals. You should try to defend your sheep if you're a shepherd. David did that in the Old Testament. But you really shouldn't sacrifice your life for a bunch of animals, okay? That's obvious, right? But so Jesus does it. So is he an idiot? Sometimes I I wonder because I'm like, I just don't think I'm worth it. But he says, yes, you are. We are worth more than sheep. Jesus says, it is good that I lay down my life. I do it because I want to. I do it to save you. Because you're worth more than sheep. You will live for eternity. With God, without God. And Jesus says, I will do what it takes to make a way for you to live with God forever and it's worth it friends do you see your your value first of all look if you don't know jesus then you're in again in great danger he laid down his life he sacrificed himself he died in your place for you don't miss it then see, the infinite God gave his life for you, which means you now have infinite worth. 
Do you see that? The infinite God gave his life for you, which then gives you infinite worth. And that's not based on what you did or didn't do yesterday, because we all know that ain't going to count for much. It's because Christ shed his blood. And if you're in Christ, if you're one of his, king, one of his sheep, if you're in his, in his flock, you have infinite worth today. If you feel distant, disconnected from life, from people, from whatever it may be, and some of you I, I know probably do feel like you have zero value. I've talked to those people, and some days I feel that way. Jesus says, look at the cross, don't look at yourself. You'll never measure up, <laughs> just won't. But Jesus says, I will give you the value by which you measure yourself. It's himself. Okay? Now, with that in mind, we do need to be, quote, doing things, right? We need, to, we need to be following Christ. We need to be living a life for Jesus. So the point being, you see infinite value in the, res in the crucifixion, but you understand that, that infinite value is then a reason then to live for Christ. Okay? Are you living a life in light of that sacrifice? He laid down his life for you. What can you do for him? Simple. But if you're like me, you'll fall short. So when you fall short of living a life for Christ, you go back to the cross. Infinite value, forgiveness of sins. Because you're going to fail just like I do. Now, one last little piece here. I want us to see the power behind this process. Listen to this. Jesus, again, just read it all ago. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. I, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Christ has authority over everything. And what's remarkable authority over his own resurrection that's the power of this shepherd see the funny thing is I told you at the beginning of the sermon you're not going to beat Satan you versus Satan you lose Satan versus Christ he loses and friends let me, let me help you out a little bit here Satan's power is much closer to ours than it is to Jesus's okay Jesus is so far beyond Satan's power and authority. Okay? Jesus' authority is absolute. Satan's authority is limited for a time, and at some point he'll be destroyed. Jesus has authority to take up his own life. That's crazy. You're dead, and you raise yourself from the dead. That's powerful. Amen. And that's our Christ. That's our Jesus. That's our shepherd. That's the one who is guarding you. Which means when things come that we go, Hey, Jesus, I don't feel really safe right now. I feel threatened. I'm going through suffering, through trials. What we realize is, is that the one who has that kind of authority has a plan for your suffering. 
and your trials. Jesus is not caught off guard. That's what I love about this. When we go through tough times and we all, just like me, are going to go, hey, Jesus, can we cut this part out? Can we, can we skip this part of the story? He's like, no. But Jesus, I'm really struggling. He goes, I know. I'm the good shepherd. And I may have to take you through some difficult places to get you where I want you to be. Go back to Psalm 23. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, Jesus could have said, hey, let's just skip this part. Let's walk around the valley of the shadow of death. He says, no, I'm going to walk through it with you. Because here's the thing, friends. Get this. It's better to walk through the valley with Jesus than around it without Him. Okay? It's better to suffer with Christ and have a happy life without Him. A billion times better. In the moment, it doesn't feel like it. But in reality, in the big picture, it, way, it really is. Better to be with Christ wherever He leads, wherever He goes, because He has the authority to raise Himself from the dead. If that's the case, He can do whatever He wants to. Of course, again, we wrap it up here. Last little parts here. The Pharisees and the people around said, this guy is crazy. What's crazy about saying I'm the shepherd? What's crazy about saying I'm laid down my life? Because it didn't fit what they believed. They didn't understand. But a lot of them didn't want to. Some of them said he has a demon. And then others said, That's, that doesn't make any sense either. Demon-possessed people don't sound like this guy. This guy is saying, I will lay down my life for you. This guy is saying, I want to bring in other sheep. This guy is saying, I know the Father. I know God. That doesn't sound like a demon-possessed man. Some of them were at least maybe that part beginning to understand. And they said, demon-possessed people don't open the eyes of the blind. So, in conclusion, who is Jesus? Is he your shepherd? Or do you think he's just crazy? It's kind of the options on the table because he said some crazy stuff. Either it's true, he's a shepherd, or he's just a nut. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand, please.